The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, bottom hunting. Whether the worst of the selling is now behind us, and it is okay to buy stocks again. We'll debate that with the Investment Committee and Wharton Professor Jeremy Siegel. He'll join us in just a little bit. With me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone, Degas Wright, Joe Terranova, and Pete Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's check the markets now. You can see the NASDAQ is in the red. Elsewhere, we're, we're in the green. Inflation did fall slightly from April. Still, though, hotter than expected. Pete, I kind of get the feeling looking at the tape today, it's like the market's trying to wrap its arms around the idea of, of peak inflation, but somewhat unconvincingly. Yeah, I think your, your read is exactly right, Scott. I mean, quite honestly, I think there's a lot of confusion, and I say that by just looking at the reaction. In the first hour of trade, we had a 500-point range within the, the, the Dow itself, a 200-plus point range within the NASDAQ. I mean, we are talking about really, really interesting movement, and it's not just all in one direction. It's not like they started low and then went high. They've been all over the place, the markets, so far. And you look over at the volatility index, kind of leaking down a little bit as we've been kind of in this now a little bit of a range. So here we are now with the volatility still around 30, but, but off of where it was. I think you also need to p take note to one other thing, Scott. We talk about volatility all the time. How about the VXN, the volatility of the NASDAQ? Now, we talked about that on Monday. I was, I was on one of the shows on Monday, and we were talking about that because everybody's saying, hey, when, when are we going to see the volatility index get to 40? Well, we haven't seen that yet, but the VXN sure did. It actually closed above 41 on Monday. That says something because it really has been a bigger story, obviously, about the NASDAQ than it has been about the Dow in terms of a lot of the movement and especially all of the, the big, huge bumps and the rides that we've been on. So I would say that the markets are still trying to, to go through all the information. And as we digest that, I think we're, that's why we're seeing sort of these ridiculous moves both up and down. Yeah, and, and you know what, and Pete, you have a bunch of moves that you've, you've made today um, in the yeah. options market. And we're, we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, but you make a good point. Uh, and Degas, until you get some stabilization, if you want to use that word, in the NASDAQ, uh, in tech, that's something you can build on. It's hard to kind of come to the conclusion that we've bottomed. You're absolutely correct. And what we're really concerned about is the consumer. Uh, the consumer confidence index is at 97. It's indicative when it's below 100 that the consumer is looking at this market and really understanding that it's going to be negative going forward. And so that may mean that they may increase their savings and reduce spending, which could have an impact on uh, the consumer going forward. You know, we noticed that the uh, big three, which will be the housing, healthcare, and higher education, all these things are being impacted by inflation, which means that the consumer may stop spending, and that could be a real negative for the market. You looking to do any buying, Carrie? Or is it too early? Definitely. 
Well, we're looking. Uh, we, we have a list. You know, I, I look at the number of stocks down 50 percent or more all the time. And yesterday, that number of uh, companies that were 35 billion or higher within the last year and are down over 50 percent, there were 63 names on that list. So we're looking at buying, and we have a few names we've been tracking for over a year that were much higher than our price target and are getting very, very close. And we're not the only ones. You know, there's a bill, a trillion and a half dollars of private equity money on the sidelines. There are buyers out there like Pfizer bought Biohaven yesterday and lots of big companies who have had steady cash flow um, who have to be looking at what's out there and talking to CEOs and founders of companies that can't be very happy with their foray into public markets over the last year. So, you know, you have to take the opportunity, even though it's not clear that when you buy, it's the right time. Every buyer recently has been too early. You know, it's been premature because the market has gone lower and the fears about inflation and supply chain and instant, they're all there. But the market predicts, the market foresees, the market isn't looking backward. And at a certain point, no one is going to ring a bell and say it's time to buy everyone. We're going to just have to make those moves carefully. And and hopefully at a certain point over the next couple of months, we're going to see that stabilization. The market's trying to find its bottom now. Because it's looking for signs of a bottom. As Kerry said, no one knows where the exact bottom is. I mean, some may make a fabulous call. It's happened, uh, obviously. Um, and that's sort of where I want to go with you, Joe, because it's the conversation that I had yesterday with Lee Cooperman when you were on overtime with me as well. And he mentioned, saying, by the way, he doesn't think we're, we're at a bottom yet, right? He, he said he doesn't see the mm -hmm. evidence of that. Those were the words that he used. However, he said to look for a sign of a company's stock goes down hard on earnings, rallies back to either close up or flat, he was pretty specific about the kinds of things that he has looked for over the many decades that he has been in the markets. And you flagged today Roblox. Roblox opens mm -hmm. lower. Stock gets down to 29, I mean 21, excuse me. Uh, 21.89 was the low. You can throw up the stock now um, mm -hmm. because it's not as high as it was. It goes up to 28 and change. Nope. And it's still up almost 11%. Mm -hmm. And you flagged that mm -hmm. as... Maybe one of those signs you look out for that Lee Cooperman was talking about yesterday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and this is not specific to Roblox. This no. is not a suggestion that the viewers should go in and, and should buy Roblox. But the way I think about it is, I think clearly, I think everyone on the panel, and Scott, you might agree, within the last week, the analogy I would use is the market in the last week has entered the intensive care unit. And you study the vital signs <laughs> of the market to see when that patient can come out of the intensive care unit. And one of the things that you look for is exactly what Lee was talking about with you on overtime yesterday, a sign that indiscriminate selling, a sign in which those that control positions aren't even controlled, controlling the, those positions because they're being liquidated just from the perspective of risk management. You look for those signs, you see a stock like Roblox last night, which is, has really been decimated. It's the classic example of the hyper-growth innovation stock down so significantly for the year. Comes in with terrible earnings, opens lower, reverses and moves higher. Well, maybe that is a signal that the vital sign is starting to improve somewhat 
and at some point we could move this market, which is in intensive care, out of that intensive care unit. You're looking for signs like that. You're not looking for absolute bottoms. You're looking for small indicators. And that's an indicator today that I think you could find uh, a degree of optimism in. No, it's not. And as you correctly said, I mean, one stock does not a story make. However, you do, no. you do look back no. at, at incidents or, or a particular stock and you say, well, maybe that was the, the sign, as, as we say, Pete, that, mm -hmm. that we are close to a bottom. That a stock that's down 75% from its high, and there are a lot of others too, right? I'm looking at Netflix, for example, which is lower today. Um, the low in that stock today mm -hmm. was 173, the high was, was 180. Just looking for signals, Pete, to try and feel more confident that a bottom, if not in, is getting close. That's what this game is all about. Yeah, but I think the one thing that, uh, that gets talked about way too much and is, is misleading is some of these stocks that are down 70 and 80 percent, most of them probably deserve to be down 70 or 80 percent, in my opinion. So referencing, well, it's down 80 percent, so I think this is a good value. I think in many cases that's really not the case. I think you have to go through each individual name to find those names that maybe have come down significantly. And maybe they've come down for the wrong reasons, quite honestly. I think there's a, a few examples out there like that. But to, to Lee Cooperman's point, and you, you guys had a great interview yesterday. Uh, hats off to you. It was awesome. I loved when he talked about how selective he's been. He's talking about not calling bottoms. He talked about looking around, trying to find stocks, but he's being extremely selective. That's exactly the way I feel about these markets. I've bought one stock. Uh, we've traded a lot of options. One stock this year, and that was Goldman Sachs. Yeah. And that was just within the yeah. last month or so. So that, that's kind of the same position that I've taken. As a matter of fact, the other thing I loved about what Lee was doing, because this shows me that this guy is so smart and he knows how to use every part of the market, but he was talking about his mega cap tech names and how he was selling options against those and why that so smart, Scott, and I think John talked about this last week, but the implied volatilities are outrageous now in a lot of these names, whether it's Microsoft or Apple or t take your pick, Facebook, you can, you can take any of these. Look at the implied volatilities. You're getting paid a lot more if you're holding on to these stocks and selling these out-of-the-money calls. It's exactly what Lee was talking about yesterday. But I still think it's a very, very, you got to be cautious in this market. I don't feel like, uh, like we've actually hit bottoms yet. Obviously, it's, uh, we're getting closer, but uh, I don't think we're there yet, Scott. I think we're still in for a lot more of this, this ride that might, uh, may, might send us to Walgreens to grab some yeah. Tums. But let me, let me go through some of the call buying that you did today, Pete, because it's from a, a wide yep. variety of, of sectors. Mm -hmm. it's, and these are new call buys, by the way. Uh, B of A, mm -hmm. right? Um, so financials. Cisco, mm -hmm. value tech. Uh, energy transfer, area of the market that's done quite well. Livent, uh, Masterich, mm -hmm. uh, NVIDIA, and then you sold some calls too after a huge win in, in Valero. But mm -hmm. just take me through your thought yeah. process. Some aren't willing to do anything in the market right, right now. Why B of A, Cisco, mm -hmm. uh, energy transfer, and the others? I think when you go across a lot of those names, Scott, there, there is a theme that goes across with many of those, which is, okay, they're not necessarily those high target names that everybody's looking at and everybody's so excited about. I think Bank of America, I think when you look at the financials right now, there are certain names that I think can perform pretty nicely within this market. Bank of America is one of those. I already own the stock. I trade in and out of the calls all the time. When it comes to Cisco, we're talking about tech, right? And, and this has always been, for at least the last couple of years, 
far too inexpensive. It's also a name where I own the stock. I also like trading the options around this one as well. And I think there are times where you, where you can actually position yourself well within these. And a lot of these, of course, are triggered by, by um, unusual option activity. But I think what's going on, quite honestly, Scott, is we're all trying to find that path. We're all trying to find certain names that have been maybe pulled down with others. And I think some of the, the names that you read off that I were buying, I think a lot of those are, are, are the names that have been pulled down along with others, and maybe that undeservably so. I don't want to be in the stocks just yet. I don't want to get stopped out. That happens way too often. I'd rather trade the options and know what my risk reward is for those trades. So um, I continue to look for those, and obviously I, I continue to trade more and more, and we'll talk about it later, but within the ETF space as well, because there are some great opportunities, in my opinion, in the ETF space right now, which is not something I normally talk about. So, Degas, there are going to be many divergent calls in, in the days ahead. We, we can understand that and, and expect it, frankly even as some want to declare, okay, maybe a bottom is, is in or, or, or close. Fundstrat's technical strategist, Mark Newton, right, he works with Tom Lee. Sell-off does not look complete, he said. Tuesday's bounce attempt failed to even climb over last Friday's 4068 lows. That's 4,068 on the S&P before weakening back lower to finish just fractionally positive. Um, what kind of signs are you looking for, Degas? I'm, I'm sure people are asking you, your clients are asking you, what do you think, Degas, about a bottom? Are we close? What signs should I look out for? I'm sure you're getting those questions. What, what kind of answers are you giving? Yeah, so ultimately what we, we tell our clients is that you cannot call a bottom. Uh, and so what we're doing is just being more conservative. We actually have more cash than we typically have. And we want to focus on quality companies that are profitable, that have reasonable valuations, that have expectations of earnings that will be either flat or growing in this uh, environment. So that's what we tell our clients because we still want to be a discipline, a process through this environment. All right. Our halftime headliner today has warned that the Fed needs to be more aggressive than the markets expect. So does he think that we've hit a bottom or are close? Let's welcome in Professor Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School down in Philadelphia. It's good to see you, Professor. Welcome back. Happy to see you, Scott. So your, your first read on the CPI today, um, as I mentioned at the top, absolutely still hot, um, but at least seems to be going in the right direction. It's going in the right direction, but uh, you know we're beginning to see the housing sector, which is so important for the CPI, and which I have said you know repeatedly on your program and before, is very lagged in the way that it is in the it computed into the index. That's going to lift the index for the next six to nine months. So we we have had a lot of inflation that hasn't actually shown up in the index. So we're not going to get some good prints, I think. Take a look at next month. You know, energy which came down, we know gas prices have already exceeded their previous high. That's It's going to be a terrible print next month. So, I, you know, my, my feeling is I would like to see the Fed just say, listen, we can go 100 basis points. We, we're going to really be serious about this inflation i actually think after an initial sell down the market would rally and say you know what the central bank is protecting our currency which is something that we need that that said and i, I want to make this point i've seen a slowdown in money growth in the last two months 
That is promising, but just the beginning. They have to keep their eye on money. I mean, consumer prices did fall in April for the first time in, in, in eight months. Now, I, I know I'm, I'm not naive to the fact of, of where, where costs are still high and the struggles that families have to put food on the table to fill the gas tank. I'm not naive to that a- at all. But if the Fed is looking at, at all of this and says, we are at least confident that inflation has peaked. We can do 50 like we just did, and let's do another 50 in June, and then let's see where we're at. And maybe their strategy isn't proven wrong just yet. No, I mean, and, and honestly, you know, since they should have started early next year, the question of whether they do 75, 25 versus 50, 50 now really doesn't mean that much. I mean, they've started way too late. We're suffering the consequences actually of the money splurge of 2020, early 2021. And there's really, it's built in and all that the Fed can do is to say, well, what is built in, which is another 10 to 15%, I think higher ultimately of the price level, at least we're not gonna make it more than that. We're gonna slow it down from that position. But so much is baked in right now. Um, Let's just hope the Fed doesn't go overboard and say, oh my goodness, we have to pull a Volcker moment and get interest rates up to 10 or 15%. I mean, that would be certainly uncalled for. But uh, honestly, whether 75, 25 or 50, 50 at this point, given how late they've been, it's not going to change the profile money. This interest rate moves. Monetary policy is not like steering the wheel on the car. You turn it, you're on a mountain road and it moves to the right. It it works 12 months later, sometimes 18 months later. You cannot operate like a precision instrument. Okay, And I have to admit We've been late. Oh, yeah. There's inflation built in, and that's that's going to be in in the works for the next six to nine to 12 months. But but you're suggesting that the, the Fed needs to do 100 basis points. Well, now. I would like them to be re, to really say, hey, come on, we are serious. And I would like him to say we really did make a mistake. We started too late and now we're going to get the rate up at least to two to three. Well, they say neutral is two, 2.4 in a high inflationary 40 year high inflationary environment with, you know, as Powell himself has said, the hottest job market in a half a century. Shouldn't you get up to neutral, which is 2.4%. Let's bring it up there as fast as possible and at least say we're defending the currency, we're defending the the dollar, and we're serious about inflation. Mm-hmm. And that said, you know, I mean, I think the market would, you know, at first say, oh, my goodness, but then say, listen, we got a central bank that's serious. Listen, the values now uh, are good. I mean, uh, you know, we're talking, everyone's talking about the market falling apart. I looked at the Russell value index which is, you know, the Russell 1000, 95%. So it's the value half of that index. Mm-hmm. It's down 7% from the all time high. Is that a tragedy? I've been talking about rotating to value for six months. 
when the interest rate rises, that's the pure logic. You, you rotate to the shorter duration assets. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what has happened. Professor, do me a favor. Let me let me slip in a quick break. I want to come back and talk to you uh, about whether you think we are close to a bottom. Don't give your answer yet. We'll do okay. it right after the break. More with <laughs> Professor Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, Wharton's Jeremy Siegel is back with us. That's the, the question now, Professor, to you. Are we close to the lows? Are we there? What's it look like to you? I wish I could say exactly. Look at your panel has said, how, you know, is it possible to really call the bottom? I, I mean, Pete mentioned that the, the NASDAQ volatility was 40. You know, if we talk about capitulation, you know, you might want to see the VIX 40 or, or maybe 50. But, but capitulation is not absolutely necessary for a bottom. It, it is more indicative of it. If it happens, it, it gives you more confidence um, that there would be a bottom, not absolutely necessary. Uh, so, you know, it's very, very hard to call the, to call the bottom. What I see is, is a lot of value out there. And I'll tell you one thing is what's strange about this bear market is there's still no signs of a recession and firms, except those super high priced firms, are making their earnings mark, which I still think is gonna be good this year. So really they just keep on getting cheaper and cheaper relative to earnings. Long-term investors should be thrilled. I mean, whether we have another 5% in short term, um, I can't say for sure. But when you say what I see is a lot of value out there, those were your exact words. And I know you mentioned the Russell 1000 earlier and you, you prefer value over growth. Is there enough value in growth to make that attractive? I mean, the, the Nasdaq's come down a lot and it's still <laughs> coming down as, as we speak and has had a hard time getting any sort of stability to it. 
Yeah, and, and, and you know, just like what happened in 2000, uh, and that when the NASDAQ was way more overblown, by the way, than, than what we've seen um, uh, 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 currently. And NASDAQ went down, you know, 80% and got way too cheap. Uh, the NASDAQ is much better. We're not going to go down anything like that now. What is it down now? 25, 27%. We might see 30%. But look at all those price to sales stocks, the uh, pandemic favorites. They've really almost had their capitulation down 70 or, or 80%. Uh, in the meantime, what we're taking a look at, you know, let's say the value. S&P or, or the value Russell selling at 13, 14, 14 times earnings in an environment where interest rates, even though they're going up from a historical standpoint, are nearly at an all time low. You know, my feeling is, you know, if, you, if you're a young investor, you should welcome this because this is going to build up your your IRA uh, uh, portfolio with a dividend reinvestment plan looking into your future. Mm. Good advice. Um, have some questions for you from the gang. Carrie, you're first. Uh, so, Professor, I have a couple of questions. The first is whether the Fed is already seeing an effect from raising rates. If you look at some announcements of hiring freezes that we've heard from some big companies, we've also seen an effect in the mortgage market. Mortgage rates have about doubled. That has to have an effect on housing. And I understand if you look uh, backward, you're going to see those um, highs come into the CPI number. Uh, but the market understands that that's part of why the market is up today. It wasn't a great number. The market's higher. So I'm, I'm curious if you think there's an effect there. And, and also, on forward PEs, they're about 16 times next year's earnings, the 23 numbers now. And if inflation by you know 2023 or into that year is, is 5% or less, isn't that a, a reasonable level for the market to be trading? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I definitely think it's a reasonable. By, by the way, you're certainly right on the mortgages. I think most of the housing inflation, which is 20% and should be in this statistics and we'll be getting there over the next year and you're right the market kind of knows that sometimes you know i've been talking about this for a year others have been talking about this a year and sometimes you just wonder about uh you know how often has the fed talked about this lag uh in 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 the housing statistics uh we really had 10 percent inflation year over year which was recorded as eight percent and that all that higher is going to be feeding into the index let's not let the you know fed panic and say oh my goodness inflation is, is that right you're absolutely right i think in the housing we have a lot of them however i also have to say i don't think anyone can be encouraged and it's not just ukraine what's going on in the oil market and particularly what worries me what's going on in the natural gas market mm -hmm. which is the heat most of, of of the homes where i live up in the mid-atlantic and northeast coming for the winter, it's it's the highest in, in 25 years. Um, these these are these are concerns um, that are that are built in for the future. Hey, hey Professor, let me ask you a simple yeah. question. I, I'm really curious about your answer. Do you think the Fed wants the market to crash? I think no. I mean, I, I don't think the Fed wants the market to crash, but they're not going to step in 
it's certainly, first of all, we haven't had an official bear market yet. Yes, in NASDAQ, not yet in, in S&P. And 20% is considered the mile, mile the, the edge of the bear market. I think, really, they will only step in if things get totally, uh, you know, uh, disorderly. Trading gets disorderly. You know, that's what they stepped in in the pandemic. You know, honestly, we've had one of the greatest bull markets that brought stocks up to levels that we had never seen before. And honestly, they're going to say, listen, I'm not going to rescue every stock investor here. I'm, I'm going to look at the economy. And that's what they should be doing. Right now, again, we're back to March 2021 levels. What? That's a year and a half. Um, uh, you know, we're still above the pre-pandemic levels. So in that sense, we're down from January 1st. Mm -hmm. Nowhere near to the point where the market, where the Fed has to say, oh, my goodness, I have to rescue this stock. No, I, I, they are not there at all. Yeah. I mean, look, and, and the, the bottom line is kind of what you said already. Part of the market has crashed. And I'm yeah. sure that the Fed is OK with that because the, the, the signs with the greatest amount of excess are the ones that needed to come back down to earth, so to speak. I think and, they're very happy with the way it has crashed because that excess uh, you know, and, and I think almost, honestly, long term investors should be happy. Mm. It's coming back to the senses, to the fundamentals of the way we talk, the way stocks should be valued. All right, Professor, it's always good to talk to you. These are Thank uncertain times. I, I love just hearing um, your perspective on things, and I, I hope our viewers do as well. We'll see you soon. Thank you very much, Scott. All right, that's the Professor Jeremy Siegel from the Wharton School down in Philadelphia. Let's get the headlines now outside the markets with Frank Holland. Hey, Frank. Hey there, here's our CNBC News update at this hour. U.S. drug overdose deaths hitting a record in 2021. That's according to new data from the CDC, which attributed a growing number of deaths to fentanyl and meth. While deaths increased nearly 15 percent last year, that was lower than the 30 percent surge the previous year as the pandemic really took a toll on Americans' mental health. In Washington, Congress is poised to approve nearly $40 billion in additional aid for Ukraine. The House passed President Biden's proposal late Tuesday on a bipartisan basis, and the Senate is likely to follow suit as early as this week. If passed, that bill would bring the total amount of Congress Ukrainian aid to more than $53 billion. And candidates endorsed by former President Trump had mixed results in yesterday's primaries. The former president endorsed wealthy businessman Charles Herbster in the Nebraska gubernatorial race. Herbster lost to Jim Pellin, who was backed by the GOP establishment. In West Virginia, Trump's preferred candidate, Representative Alex Mooney, beat another incumbent congressman in a newly created district. That's the very latest. Scott, back over to you. Colin, thank you very much. Coming up, Pete's got puts that he has put on in the market. We're going to go through some of those other moves. I told you about the calls earlier. There are two sides to this today. Pete will tell you what they are. And before the break, a check on the S&P sector heat map. Three are in the red. Rest are green. S&P is trying to get back positive. It's down seven and a half. We're back after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, 
the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I just showed you the market there. Uh, NASDAQ, uh, let's throw that back up again. Can we show that again just to go through that? You saw what, uh, what's happening in the market now. I mean, it's a volatile day um, yet again. NASDAQ's down by a little more than 1% now. 11,602, that's a loss of 135. The S&P back below 4,000 for the moment. It's a fractional loss, some five points. The Dow is still good for 25. And then yields 10-year, 295 is where it currently sits. And that's been as volatile as stocks. So we've got to keep our eye across the whole screen um, today. Pete, I mentioned you have some new puts, and a lot of it is yeah. centered around the ARC complex. You want to talk me through that? Sure. We can start with the ARC F, which is the fintech, and that one's going to give you names like Square and Shopify and some of those names. We talked about this, Scott, all throughout the pandemic for the most part was this run that we had in these three triple-digit, quadruple-digit, zero PE-type names. There's quite a few of these names that are definitely triple digit type names within this ETF. And so it was pretty interesting last week, about the middle of last week. Now, this has been going on for a while, but the middle of last week, it accelerated as we were going lower and lower. We had the 20 and a half puts getting bought when the stock was trading or the ETF trading 20 and a half. They bought about 10 or 15,000 of those puts right where it was. And these puts, by the way, expire on June 3rd. So they do give you a little bit of time. They've been rolling down ever since, Scott. Then they went to the 19 puts. Then they went to the 17 and a half puts. Today we're sitting here looking at that ETF. It's hitting another 52-week low, which happens, it seems like, almost every day. And it's in the low 16s. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of just how right they have been. They've been buying in size across the board in that ARK FinTech. But that's not where it stops. As a matter of fact, and by the way, I trimmed some of those just because it's the disciplined thing to do. Do I think it's the bottom? I probably don't think it's the bottom, but I do think we've had a pretty significant move, so I've got to trim that. That's part of the discipline that I try to have in every single trade, up or down. So if you look at the ARK-K, which is the innovation one, now you're looking at Tesla, and you're looking at a lot of the other names that are also fairly high multiple names within this one, and it's getting hit as well. As a matter of fact, just on Monday, they started buying pretty aggressively in there as well, Scott. They bought 10,000 of the May 13th, so Fridays, the 43 puts. The interesting thing here was they weren't buying an out-of-the-money put. They weren't even buying an at-the-money put. They're buying a put that's already in the money and watching as this entire complex goes lower and lower and lower. So those have continued to go to the downside as well. The last one I'll, I'll throw out at you is it's not all about ARC, but the EFA. So this is giving you exposure to a blend of stocks that are primarily well they're all outside of north america so in other words the u.s and canada they're all outside of north america but 
they were buying in size. I mean, 77,000 of the June 65 puts were being bought, Scott, and they were getting spread off on there. Now you're looking at a lot of exposure here to both Japan and UK make up the majority of what we're looking at here. So if you think that the markets outside of the US are gonna be weak as well, this is a great way to play it. I'm in these puts as well. Why trade desk? I have that on my list. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The trade desk, that, well, that was going into earnings, expecting to see something happen there. I hold on to these puts right now. We'll see. Last night, the stock was getting hammered pretty good. Today, it's actually reacted a little bit better. So we'll see how it plays out. But there was a lot of put buying in that name yesterday, Scott. Had to be a part of it. I just continue to look across all of this. And you've got to trade the markets that you've got, right? I mean, that's the key, and we talk about it all the time. Good, bad, or indifferent, you've got to trade where you are, what you've got in front of you right now, and that's exactly what I'm doing. And I have a lot more put exposure than I've had in a very long time. Okay. We have unusual activity coming up, too, so you got more from Pete coming up in just a little bit. Plus, Disney earnings are out after the bell tonight. We're going to have, of course, that move, uh, the numbers and the move in the stock in overtime. It is the worst Dow stock this year, certainly one of them. The debate and the trade is next. All right, Disney's after the bell. One of the worst Dow performers, as we said. Uh, there's the stock, $107. Pete, you own Disney. Tell me about what your expectations are here. Well, it, it all comes down, Scott, to are, are we going to be focused on just the streaming and, and the effects that obviously the effect, the negative effects that have come from Netflix that affected Disney and many of the others in the streaming world? Or are we going to look at the entire composite of what Disney's giving us? Because I think if you look at the entire composite, it's going to be a lot more positive than people think. But if the focus is directly on streaming, then I think we're going to see a little bit more of the pressure to the downside for Disney. I, I really look at it, Scott. They've been, they've been hammering the stock. There's absolutely no doubt about it. I, I thought that when I was buying it earlier that I actually had an opportunity there. It's continued to go to the downside, and it doesn't feel like it's a bottom yet, but I think it's all about what are people going to be focusing on on this report this evening. Well, why shouldn't you be focused on streaming? It's like a, you're almost well, insinuating I, that don't focus on the area that is the place to focus most on. I mean, that, that's the primary growth well, engine. Of, of course, you know, the, the parks and other things are, are going to be strong. Yeah. But it's the streaming yep. where the bread mm -hmm. is going to be buttered in, in the, the years ahead. Well, I think, you're, I think you're partially right. I think we had that big jump, right? The stock was trading at about a buck fifty. It went all the way up to 200 because everybody was so excited about streaming. Well, then all of a sudden we started to realize, hey, maybe, maybe a little bit too much is baked into this thing at this point in time. It stretched the PE, all of those kind of things. So it then dropped back again. When it dropped back again, that was the opportunity, I thought. But now that's just continues to be only focusing. And I say that honestly, I think people are only focusing on streaming. Yes, that is the future to some degree, but let's, let's not be uh, so blind to the idea that the parks are absolutely jammed, Scott. They've got movies that are coming out that people are very excited about in terms of what's in the, uh, in, the, in the offing as we get into summer. There's a lot of different parts of Disney other than streaming that I think people should be focusing on, and it's continuing to open more and more. I think there's a lot of reasons to be bullish on Disney right now. Degas, are you bullish? You own it. Yeah, we are bullish, and I agree with Pete. It's been very frustrating uh, to be a holder of this stock. But, Scott, to, to the point, the streaming only makes up 25% of their revenue. So what we're looking for is the entire story around Disney. And we're looking for about a $1.20 
for this quarter. If they hit that or greater, I think it's going to be a good opportunity to be an owner of Disney. Yeah, but you're reevaluating. I mean, you're bearing the lead a little bit, aren't we? I mean, you're reevaluating the position. Exactly, because ultimately what we're looking at is that if there's still a focus on the streaming, as Pete just laid out, it won't be good for the stock in the near term. The next one to two quarters, we're going to still be going down if it's only talking about streaming. If we can expand the discussion around and see how they're doing in those other parts, in the parks, in the cruises, and also in the other media properties they have, that's what we're looking for uh, for Disney because Disney is a great play as we get into this reopen. That's the where we will have to get the market to really focus on. But if we don't get market sentiment going that way, we can't fight the market. And so we, we will be reevaluating this position after the print uh, tonight. All right, Joe, any interest? Well, I, I think that the focus has to be on streaming. I, I disagree. And the reason it has to be on streaming is because that's where you value it as a growth company. If the streaming business is not going to give you that type of growth, then you're going back to a valuation that's more reflective of a traditional media company. So I don't see how you can't look at streaming. Pete, just respond to that real quick. I mean, I, I, frankly, I think it's a good point. Right. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point. I, th I think that the reality is this. Uh, Disney was Disney for what they were for a long period of time. We even s talked about and kicked around the desk for a long time. Should they have bought Netflix? They had opportunities to and they didn't do that. I'm not saying that you have a blind eye to this. Obviously, this is something very important. As Degas points out, it's 20 plus percent of the revenue. But let's think about the rest of the revenue. And, 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 and I think that's the important part. Yes, this is a growth piece to it. But one of the things that I think that, that played into this whole thing with Disney was, hey, look, it got overpriced because of streaming. Now I think it's underpriced because of streaming. And I think if you look forward, you'll see that where the PE is right now, and based upon what we, we hear tonight, this is going to be a very, very inexpensive media company. All right, we'll see what happens again uh, in overtime. Numbers are going to break. We'll give you the stock reaction and the analysis from people who own that stock after the earnings come out. You just heard from those who are, uh, own it before. We'll find out coming up how hedge funds are positioning in this market. Plus, we're celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage, featuring some of our CNBC teammates and contributors. Here's Dan Suzuki, Richard Bernstein Advisors, Deputy Chief Investment Officer. My advice to the community would be, don't be afraid to stick out. Prove to people that you're unique and that you're much more than your racial identity. And don't forget that it's a two-way street. Just as you want to feel included in all society's circles, make sure that you're doing your part to include others into your circles, because how can you expect them to see the beauty of your culture and your individual personality unless you allow them to get close enough to see it for themselves? Welcome back to the Halftime Report. Show you uh, what's happening in the market right now. We're uh, right around session lows for the NASDAQ, down 139. That's uh, a little more than a 1% decline. S&P still, uh, still sitting just below 4,000. And the Dow's hanging on to positive territory, as I said. Been volatile lately. We'll find out how hedge funds are holding up. Leslie Picker is now following the money. She's with me here on set. Good to see you. What did you learn? Good to see you too, Scott. So the average hedge fund is deeply in the red, not surprisingly, but... 
still outperforming the broader market after years of losing out on the short side. Hedging has finally been paying off with every hedge fund strategy tracked by HFR performing better on average than the S&P 500, including dividends. However, the dispersion among funds has been very wide here. Equity managers, particularly those that came into the year with concentrated tech exposure, have seen very steep declines. I'm told that the manager of the BlackRock Strategic Equity Hedge Fund, which declined 13 percent so far this year, has become a net short for the first time ever in May. That, according to a person familiar with the strategy, Bloomberg reported that move earlier. Melvin Capital is looking into ways to restructure its firm after posting declines of 39% last year and another 20.6% in the first quarter of this year. A source familiar with that matter tells me. And the pressure is on for Tiger Global, which is down 44% year to date. I obtained their most recent investor letter where they say the markets, quote, have not been cooperative given the macroeconomic backdrop, but they say they remain committed to earning back their losses. Some brave funds have been buyers of the dip. According to Bank of America, hedge fund and private clients were the biggest buyers in equities last week, according, although notable managers from Leon Cooperman to Dan Loeb have said, we are not quite at a bottom yet. Net leverage across strategies fell from 62% at the start of the year down to 50%, according to Morgan Stanley Levels near two-year lows. So we're not seeing that kind of over-leverage that might make people nervous in this current environment. All right, Les, thanks. That's Leslie Picker. Up next, Pete has unusual activity. We do have final trades still to come as well. We'll be right back. Unusual activity, Pete. And I see you have three stocks uh, led by arguably the stock of the day. Yes. <laughs> you know I'm going to start with about. Coinbase, Scott. There That's, you go. Yeah, absolutely. It's already down 20 plus percent and they just continue. If you're looking for a bounce, at least the options community does not seem to think that there is one, Scott. They're buying 15,000 of Friday's expiring 55 strike call uh, puts rather when the stock was trading right around 55 and a half. So that gives you a little bit of an idea that there isn't anything positive yet to come that, that folks are expecting right now. Those puts were being bought for about $3.50. I know the stock is already moving to the downside even off of that. It's been as low as the 52-week lows today, around $52 and, uh, $52 and a half dollars or something like that. So not great for Coinbase. Next, I got Lyft. Now, they also stumbled on their earnings, of course, last week or so. It, it plummeted. And it looks like somebody is looking for a little bit of a bounce, Scott. The stock was trading a little over 19. They were buying 5,400 of the May's 27th expiring. So it gives you about two and a half weeks. The 20 strike calls paying about a dollar for those. Like I said, about 5,400 of those. Lastly, I've got one for you, Taiwan Semiconductor. Now, this one's pretty interesting as well. Trading around 90. We know the semis have been up and down and all around. 3,000 of the June 3rd expiring 98 calls, as well as the July 95 calls getting bought today. So trying to buy for that upside in Taiwan Semi as well. Okay, got it. Pete, thank you. Quick break, then final trades next. Okay. There are your major averages now. Uh, we're in the red across the board. The uh, NASDAQ is a little bit lower than it was a few moments ago. So it's at the lows of the day. 
S&P 500, I said it gave up 4,000. It's moved down by about 20 or so points uh, in the last few minutes. You can see where it is right now. Joe, it's, uh, you're looking at mega caps that are the drag, right? Apple below 150. The patient is still in the intensive care. Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal. Apple, you know, we've been looking at these important lines to watch. Apple's below 150, 149.90. Microsoft, I'll pull that one up to 263. So, you know, you had lines 270 people were watching. Kerry, we have about uh, 30 seconds left. Let's do final trades. I want to make sure we, we get those in. What do you have for us? Schwab, it's 14 times next year's earnings. If rates go up, it's positive. If the market goes up, it's positive. All right. Degas. Both sides. Whole logic. We like the strong growth in that, uh, dynastics and also in the um, imaging healthcare products. Okay, Pete. Walgreens. Thank you. And Joe. Long Merck. All right. As I mentioned, Disney earnings after the bell. Tom Lee uh, is with us. Looking very much forward to that. We'll see you then. You've been listening to CNBC's halftime report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.